welcome all of us that are on this platform and we praise the Lord for today. We trust that the Lord will speak to us this morning through his word and we cannot take this opportunity for granted that we are awake and we are in the presence of the Lord. Let's just pray again. Our God and our Father, I submit myself to you this morning, O God, that you alone, my Father and my God, will arise and will be able to speak to your people this morning. Lord, you love each one of us with special love. You are God full of mercy and grace. And I pray that, Lord, you reveal yourself to us this morning as we talk about dealing with influences of the kingdom of darkness. We know that the kingdom of darkness has inhabited the world and taken over. But, Lord, at our baptism, we are reminded to fight against the flesh, the world, and the devil. And so, God, as we talk about the, uh, the, the, the dealing with the influences of the kingdom of darkness, we are mindful that we were, um, uh, were commended into the world as soldiers who are fighting against these influences of God. So, Father, this morning, I pray, my King of kings and Lord of lords, that you speak to me and speak through me and bring your word with the clarity, with authority, with the power. Lord, reach out to my friends, my brothers and sisters, those that are just waking up. Lord, I pray that you bring them up and that, Lord, together we'll be able to share in your word. We thank you and we honor you. Lord, I pray that you speak. I pray that, Lord, you clear the network that will not be interrupted even as we listen to your word, Lord. We give you praise, our Father and our God, for in the name of Jesus Christ we have prayed. Amen. Uh, this morning we are we are looking at a topic dealing with influences of the kingdom of darkness. And in my sharing, I'll be talking about this um, kingdom of darkness. And then I will conclude by looking at the influences. Um, and this is taken from uh, uh, the book of First John. First John chapter 2, we read verses 15 and 16. First John 2, 15 and 16. And it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, when you look at this scripture, what comes to our mind is what Jesus told his disciples in John 17. He said, Jesus told his disciples that you are in the world, but not of the world. And so the problem we are dealing with here is worldliness, taking in what is in the world and indulging in it without obedience to Christ. The world is where we live. Jesus did not command his disciples to leave the world, but to stay in the world but not to be of the world. 
that means the world is is where we are and we cannot run away from the reality that this is the world we are living in, in it. But there are things of the world that do not concern us as believers. There are things of the world that should not consume us or take our lives as believers. And that's why it says do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When you go back to John chapter 1, the first John chapter 1, verses uh, 1, verse 6, he says, John told, um, uh, tells us that if we walk in sin's darkness and claim to be in fellowship with God, we are lying. And we all know that when we talk about the kingdom of darkness, we are talking about sin. And that's why the scripture, when you also read First Corinthians chapter 6, you are told that those that uh, sin will be thrown out in darkness. And in darkness there, there are those who are immoral, those who are, who, who, who are idolaters. So, so the kingdom of darkness is the kingdom of sin. But now John points out a specific area of sin that threatens our fellowship with God. And this is worldliness, to love the world. And that's why it's very clear, do not love the world or the things in the world. The world, according to John, means the community of sinful humanity that is united in rebellion. The community of sinful humanity that is united in rebellion. That means, friends, we live in this world, but there is that community of sinful people who are united in rebellion against God. And whatever that they do, and we have seen such human beings that live in rebellion, whatever that works around them is rebellion. They have a spirit of worldliness, worldliness that they cannot get rid of. The spirit of worldliness, friends, can be compared the, the, the best example that I can bring, which is very clear, is the spirit of um, in Genesis, where these people join together in a rebellious way and decide to construct the Tower of Babel. To construct a Tower of Babel. And that is the spirit of wildness, constructing a power. And that is what we call the spirit of Nimrod. A rebellious spirit, a rebellious spirit against God, perpetuated by an anti-godly leader of humanity. And you know, Nimrod was such a great leader that when you talk about him, you are talking about such a great leader. But he, there was organized rebellion against God. And I mean, disobeying the command of God to disperse over the earth. And you know, this direct distrust of God's word and promise. And they had good intentions, friends, of building the tower. 
that was uh, probably a water safe tower to protect against the future flood from heaven. For everyone else who could hear that you are building a tower to protect yourself against the future flood from heaven, you could join in the construction of the tower. You know, friends, people that are worldly or worldliness does not just come to us as if it is something very worldly, very bad, but sometimes it comes to us as if it is that very good thing that sounds very nice. And yet, in the sounding of very nice, sometimes some of us as Christians need to evaluate, yes, the leader has brought this idea, but is this idea godly or this idea is ungodly? Now, a leader brings an idea and gathers people and tells them, let's build a tower going to heaven. And when we build this tower, we're going to be better off. We are going to, um, we, we are going to reach heaven. We are going to stop God from from bringing the floods. We are going to disorganize the purposes of God. So there is this kind of underlying uh, underlying spirit that is into the building of the Tower of Babel. And when you look at this story of the Tower of Babel, it shows us another fundamental fact about the world system, the world's progress, technology, the governments of the world. The organization can make money better off to follow in love with the world. You know, there are certain things that we put in place that make us really to fall in love with the world. And the things look so good. And when you make them, you stand aside and you, you, you speak like God and you say, wow, behold, it is too good. Hmm? And so this is the fact of the systems of the world, friends, that we live in on a daily basis. The progress in technology, you look at technology and we feel, wow, this is too good. You look at the systems and you look at organizations and they make us feel like, wow. You know, you know, friends, um, I was just, I'm just looking at even the cathedral that we are constructing. It is very easy for us to complete that cathedral and we get into the cathedral and we are like, wow. And, and we, we dive into worldliness. We dive into worldliness because it's such a wonderful and magnificent cathedral that other people look at and say, wow. And so there is a possibility that you get in there and you fall into worldliness. It's like you construct your house and when you go enter your house, you're like, wow, God, what wonderful technology. See what I have put in this house. You walk around it. You know, it's like you walk around it and you look like the Nebuchadnezzar, how Nebuchadnezzar walked around the city of Babylon and he was, wow, this whole city is mine. You know, worldliness, friends, does not arise from a state where the, the whole life seems to be like or maybe it is a weird situation. Wildness comes in such such a, a sweet state of manner that when you look at it, you feel like I have arrived. This is the best. You know, it comes, it can come like you have worked so hard and made a lot of money. Maybe you've not stolen, but you've made a lot of money and it feels like you look at yourself and you say, wow, I have done it. Wildliness brings self-centeredness. You focus on yourself and you focus on your achievements. 
you do not look at God as the author of your achievements, but you focus on yourself. You do not focus on God. Hmm? You know, when we love, we love the world, we look at how impressive the things are. And when we look at how impressive the things are, sometimes we tend to forget that the things we are looking at are things which are perishing. We choose leaders in accordance to human power and accordance to worldliness, not the spirit of God. That is why, friends, we see when we are choosing leaders in sometimes even a simple thing, the worldliness has entered you see yourself spending money buying bottles, you use the false impressive words when when, when when someone comes to church, they talk a church language. When they go to a mosque, they speak a mosque language. When they are among the drunkards, they speak the language of the drunkards. They even taste the beer and say, me, I don't drink it, but just because I want to be in communion with you, I love your vote, so you do it. We choose them not because of faith, but because of a worldly mindset. They are not Christians, but we say, but they are very good. You know, there is a secular anti-God or ignoring God way of doing things that characterizes human society. And it is easy to love the world in that sense. So, friends, as I speak, I want us to continue asking ourselves, how has it been that the world has totally influenced me or influenced my life? And how can I be able to turn around? Hmm? To turn around. You know, love of the world is expressed in time, attention, and expense. You know, how much time do you give to a particular scenario? What attention do you give it? You know, when you begin to consume worldly music, how much time do you give it? How much attention? When you are watching a wicked movie, how much attention do you give to it? What is the expense? How much do you spend on worldliness? You know, friends, we are encouraged and persuaded to give our time, attention, and money to the things of this world instead of the things of God. And that is why when we go to church, you have to think about how much to give to God and more so a leftover. When you begin thinking about a type, you bargain and it's very complicated. When you think about supporting someone, you bargain and it's very complicated. But listen, sometimes we use this language. No, when, um, when, uh, when, when we go to, to some places, some people say, I don't drink, but here is some money you can buy for yourself. And then the people who are the drunkards who say he is a good person, even if he does not do it, he allows us to live our lives. So there is that sense in which you are diving into wildness in a very technical way 
as if nothing is going on. So worldly words, on the other hand, it can also be another issue. Sometimes they are instant. And when we get worldly words, friends, sometimes it can be a very wonderful job that the Lord has offered you. And I'm mentioning these things, friends, not because they are bad, but the way we perceive them, we can end up being so worldly. Hmm? Worldly rewards are so instant, you have performed it so well, you've been promoted, and all of a sudden you have prestige, you have status, you have honor, you have comfort. You know, as you look at it, you know, the world system knows how to reward it is lovers. And that is how they drag you from the angle at which you were, you were in God, and you end up in the world, and you dive into the world. Loving material things of the world subjects us to loving the created and not the creator. And so, friends, when we talk about this whole area of worldliness and loving the world, we have to be very, very careful because we end up loving the world sometimes unconsciously and you find yourself sitting in the comfort of your office chair, sitting in the comfort of your home, sitting in the comfort of the car, Sitting everywhere in your farm, you look at you everything and you're like, God, this is powerful. Yes, it is powerful. But the question is, are you getting worldly or you are looking at everything as a gift from the Lord? So the problem is that though we gain prestige, we gain status, we gain honor, we gain comfort of this world. We lose the prestige and we lose the status and we lose the honor. And we lose the comfort of heaven. So we pray that God will give us the grace. That even when we look around us, we are not going to be consumed by the world. To love the world, all things in the world. And remember, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot do both. You cannot love the world and love the Father. The two cannot work together. The world buys our love with the great things it has given us. The gadgets that we have, you know, the status that goes with all of them can really make our hearts feel at home in this world. And these friends are all good but deceptive. So we need to be careful with the world around us and with how we do things and handle things around us. And so you, you end up asking yourself, do I love so, do I love these material things so much, the excellent that I love God? Love for the world is incompatible with the love for the Father. Therefore, if one claims, claims to love God and yet loves the world, there is something wrong with his claim to love God. We cannot do both. We need to love God so much that we can be able to appreciate God for what he has given us. And therefore, we do not dive or go deep or soak ourselves in the world, but we soak ourselves in the Lord. And then we appreciate God and everything we see around us, we see the glory and the grace of God. And that is why, friends, through the centuries, many of, uh, of, 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 of men and women of God who committed themselves to loving the Lord would leave human society and live as monks or nuns in a desolate monastery so that they are not in any way contaminated 
with the pleasures of the world. And therefore, they would leave, set apart themselves and go and live there. And um, they, they, you can't see them. They are those who even food was given to them through a window. And for that matter, they were able to commit themselves to one thing, loving the world and not being contaminated by the issues of the world. <clears throat> but friends, as I started in John 17, 14 through 18, Jesus made it very clear that we are not supposed to withdraw from this world. We are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And I want you to mark that statement vividly today and continue to think about it. Am I just in the world or am I of the world? We are in the world, but not of the world, because God keeps us safe in this world of sin. God shields us from this world of sin so that we are not influenced by the characters and the issues of the world. And now when you look at verse 16, which says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, yeah. Now this is this is friends what has failed us. These are this is what um we call the character of the world. The character of the world is dominated by the lusts, lusts and pride. And this lust seeks to draw our own flesh away into sin and worldliness. The idea behind the pride of life is someone who le- who lives for superiority over others. Most by impressing others through outward appearances, even if it is by deception. You know, someone who is proud, friends, you look at yourself as being superior in every way. You look at yourself in a way of impressing others. You look at everything about your, your outward appearance. is like that outward appearance supersedes everything else that you would have done. And so you concentrate on that and forget that all this that you are looking at is mere deception. Think about the things that we see, the worldliness that is uh, um, engraved in social media. You have seen uh, many times we go for uh, services and services are on television or whatever, but you get surprised that when it is being... Um, when, when, when they are, when they, when they are projecting or when you're viewing, when you're looking at your television to see what happened, what comes out is the world, not the gospel. And that is how the world is. The, the media will try as much as possible not to bring the salmon, but they would want to capture something somewhere. When you look at the adverts, you look at the adverts, most of them probably make a powerful appeal to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. The adverts consist of exposure of nakedness, painted faces, sexual oriented images. You know, the advert is appealing. And, and you know, look at how you use your social media sometimes. You know, people will not spend MBs on the gospel, but on movies, on, uh, on, on things, you know, there are things that you, you, and, and one of these days during this, uh, this COVID lockdown, people started saying, we, people are being fatigued by too much preaching. People are fatigued with too much preaching. You are fatigued with too much preaching, and yet you are not fatigued with television. You are not fatigued with other social media programs. You are not fatigued, but you are fatigued with the gospel. 
So you look at how worldliness, friends, gives us even phrases that look so nice and wonderful. And yet they are against the will of God. So all these things, friends, come into our lives because partially we have engaged so much in worldliness. I want you to think about the, uh, the uh, Adam and Eve story, the garden, and, um, and, and when you look at Genesis chapter 6, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, what does it say? When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, the tree was for good. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. This woman knew that they had stopped them from eating that tree. And who had stopped them? It was God who created them. The creator is the one who had stopped them. But look at these phrases. Good for food. She looked at the fruit and was good for food. Friends, that is a perfect reason. When you look at something that's good for food, go for it. But what does this imply? It implies the lust of the flesh. The flesh demanded what was not supposed to be eaten. Pleasing to the eye, lust of the eyes. You've seen something, you're not supposed to take it, but it's pleasing to your eyes. That is lust of the eyes. Desirable for gaining wisdom. And that is pride, my sisters and brothers. And after combining these three things, the last of the flesh, the, the, the last of the eyes, and the pride she took and ate. She took and ate. This is how, how the devil captures us. She took and ate. And she did not only stop there, but she also gave to her husband who was with her and he also ate it. He also ate it. So my dear sister, my dear brother on this platform this morning, there are many ways in which we are overpowered by worldliness. There are many areas in which we are taken over by the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness is so enticing. The kingdom of darkness comes with the things that seem to be real, things that seem to be good, things that seem to be wonderful. Things that you look at and you feel like, but now God, you also understand this is not bad. And you take it and use it and grow in it. And then it becomes something else. But friends, it does not take too long. Because after Eve had gone through this scenario, God comes looking for them in the garden. And for the first time, they are hiding away from God. And they are getting leaves to cover themselves. And they are saying, we had you coming. And we hid because we were naked. Friends, the moment we dive into what is not supposed to be done, the moment we take in, we dive into the kingdom of darkness, the moment we run into disobedience, then definitely we begin to hide from God. And that is the reason why we end up hiding from Christian friends. We end up running away from church. We end up doing this. And we need to be careful. Unless if there are stronger reasons why you are running away from fellowship. You need to think about it and say, God, you have mercy on me. 
Why am I running away from fellowship? You do not know what you're diving yourself into. You do not know how you dive into wildness. You do not know how wildness consumes you and overtakes you and overpowers you. And at the end of the day, you become too wildly in your speech. You become too wildly in your everything that you do. And you begin to sit with the people that you never used to sit with. Your friends begin to change slowly. The people you host begin to change slowly. Your company begins to change. And friends, this does not matter what age you are. Life changes in as much as you are able to dive into wildliness and you dive into darkness. Friends, how then do we deal with these influences of the kingdom of darkness? How do we deal with the influences that I have talked about? Begin to think about what is eternal, and that is where we should invest. When you read verse 17, what does it say? Uh, Chapter 2, verse 17. It says that, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. When you read Matthew chapter 6 verse 19, it says, do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and insects destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and insects do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And when we are talking about storage in heaven, we are talking about, friends, the whole lifestyle, the things that we have been talking about. Some of us are growing into old age, some of us are already there, some of us are young, some of us are middle age. But one of the things you should understand that, friends, when you do not take care of, of investing eternally and you invest here, you are going to suffer the consequences not only here, but you're also going to suffer the consequences because you have blocked yourself from entering eternity. And so begin to think about what is eternal and that is where we should invest our lives. The world is huge and the world has everything. It offers everything in its entirety. There is nothing you look for in the world and the world will not offer. The world is going to give it to you all. You want a job, the world is going to give it to you. You want material things, the world is going to give. Everything the world is going to give. But friends, remember that it is not eternal. So let us learn to store our treasures in heaven where it will not be stolen, no thieves break into our storage. Let's remember also that loving the world is loving sin. Do not love sin. Think of your standards for success. Is it worldly or godly? When you read John 3, 19 to 20, it says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. The moment we get into sin, friends, we cannot expose ourselves to the light. We begin hiding away from light. We begin hiding from friends. We begin hiding from people. We begin hiding from church. It is sin, friends. And if we see people beginning to say, you know what, I don't want to be in church, you know, things are happening, you know that exactly what is reigning in the hearts of men and women is sin. And when you live in sin, when you love sin, 
you end up into sin and you dive into sin and whatever you think is sin. So my dear sisters, brothers, this morning, that if we are going to deal with these influences of the kingdom of darkness, then we need to, to stop. Do not love sin. Do not love sin. Hate sin with its roots. Hate sin. Identify sin. You know that this is sinful and I'm not going to go this way. It's just like the child sees the fire. You cannot touch it. Run away from sin. The other thing, ask yourself, how do you invest your time? What occupies your mind? Where is your destiny? What do you consume every day? How much time do you spend in the presence of God? Over this season, we took the, through the 40 days of prayer and fasting, we took a lot of time talking about being in the presence of God. How much time do we give to being in the presence of God? If we are not in the presence of God, friends, it's going to be very difficult for us. You remember the story of Saul. When you read the story of Saul, you are reminded Saul that Saul reached a point when he lost the presence of God. And because he lost the presence of God, he reached the extent of consulting with the witch doctor. Because he had lost the presence of God, God was not speaking. God was not speaking. He tried and God would not speak. And so he had to seek help from a witch doctor to get Samuel to come and speak to him. And in that scenario, Samuel reminds him that I told you, you are going to join me tomorrow with your children. And what happened? Because Saul loved the world more than the Lord who had called him. It didn't take long that in the next war that he went into, he died together with his children. He lost eternity. And so, friends, do not love sin. But also, um, spend much time in the presence of God. When you spend time in the presence of God, the moment you realize that I'm not in the presence of God, then you must make sure that really I get back into the presence of God. So how do you invest your time? What occupies your mind? Where is your destiny? What do you consume on a daily basis? Those are questions that we need to ask ourselves. Thirdly, what makes the person in? You know, what, what, when you think about the things that consume your life, you know, when you look up at the pride of the, the flesh, you need to ask this question, and, and this came to my mind in the context of there's so many divorces, friends, that are happening around us every day. And my question is, what makes the person of the opposite sex appealing or same sex appealing? What do you see in them that is attractive? Why is it that there is a lot of divorce today? You know, friends, one of the things that we see that there is a lot of attraction to the physical and the worldly, people have married spouses <clears throat> as a sex tool, not as a wife or a husband. You get married to a social being to take away your boredom. When the parties and outings fade, the marriage begins to die and unfaithfulness begins to come in. Because you married a lover to hang out with, a provider to meet your physical needs, a cook so that you have good food to eat. And those are things that are ringing around us in worldliness. 
And so, friends, even when we talk about people getting married today, people are getting married to the world. Worldliness has consumed the institution of marriage. And so what do we do if we want to avoid these influences? We look at marriage as an institution designed by God. We look at marriage in the context of Christ being the bride. I mean, I mean the church being the bride and Christ being the groom. And therefore you get into marriage knowing that you know what? I'm not being attracted to the physical. I am not being attracted to money. I'm not being attracted to the structure. But I am determined that I'm getting married. And I'm going to get into this marriage, no matter all the odds that hang around me. You know, friends, worldliness has entered the institution of marriage. And because of worldliness, divorce is very easy and it becomes so handy. So I want to pray that the Lord will give us the grace to understand this institution of marriage. But the other thing, as I come to the conclusion, do not be yoked with non-believers. You have no fellowship with the darkness. Second Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14. But I also want to encourage you to read the first Corinthians chapter 6. You know, when you are yoked with the non-believers, friends, many things happen around you. Let us bear in mind that if I am around a non-believer, it is for purposes of influencing them for Christ, but not them influencing me their way. Let's find it fitting in the, in the eyes of God, not to let ourselves to be influenced by non-believers, but to influence the believers for Christ. So do not be yoked with non-believers. And finally, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So friends, we are in the world, but not of the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. And so we need to pray that God will give us the grace to understand what worldliness is and to understand what godliness is and to be able to strike a difference between light and darkness and to run away from loving the world. And loving the world is sin. And how we invest our time, we need to think about it. And how we appeal to one another. Why are you, uh, why is that person appealing to you? Do you just like them for who they are? Are you attracted to them? What is this whole attraction issue? The issues, friends, that we have seen of homosexuality when you read Romans chapter 118, following exchange of unnatural desires, you know, all these things are coming because of the world that is diving in us. But until we step back and say, God, I am in the world, but I'm not of the world. I'm not going to get yoked with any believers. I'm not going to be conformed to the world. It is going to be very, very difficult, friends, for us to be able to run away from the influences of darkness. The world is dark. And I want to pray this morning that the Lord will give us the grace to run away from darkness and enter the kingdom of light.
for a minute. John says, and this is the verse I want to read, friends, and come to a conclusion. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. How I pray, friends, that if we have indulged into the world, will allow the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, to cleanse us from all sin. My Father and my God, I just want to say thank you for this morning and for the opportunity to share in your word. Lord, give us the grace that we will influence the world which is dark and I will not allow darkness to influence us. And Lord, give us the grace that we will learn how to deal with all these influences and that your name will be glorified. We thank you, Lord, and we honor you. For in Jesus Christ we have prayed. Amen and may God bless you.